Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me, as always, are my friends and colleagues, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. And we've got a full slate of Premier League matches to get into. Uh, then we'll talk about some Bundesliga, La Liga, Ligue 1, Serie A, give out a couple underdogs that we like this weekend and our favorite bets in the Premier League and then get out of here. But we will start on 7.30 a.m., Eastern time. It's a kickoff between Liverpool minus 800 Watford. They're 20 to one on the money line and the draw is plus 850 on the three way. It's an interesting setup here because Liverpool is getting Mo Salah and Sadio Mane back from a very emotional uh, trip to Africa in the World Cup qualifiers. It's a Mane uh, Senegal qualified by ousting Salah's Egypt. So there could be some emotional uh, stuff there to to deal with. Uh, Watford also has players coming back like Ismail Asar. Um, but the thing that we should touch on here is that Liverpool has been very, very lucky defensively lately. 7-0-0 win draw loss in their last seven games played in the Premier League. 17 goals for, one goal against. Their goal, expected goals for is kind, are kind of in line with their actual production, but their expected goals against, five expected goals against, suggests there is some defensive regression coming. Is that right, Anthony? Damn right it is. Uh, you know, I think this Watford attack has been a little bit better than I thought it was going to be under Roy Hodgson. And I think that's really the biggest thing. And the reason I took some Watford team total over a half at plus 110 since the new year, Watford averaging one expected goal per 90, but they're only scoring about 0.64. So they have had a finishing dip lately that I think is kind of playing into this. Roy Hodgson has them playing very defensive narrative, which is true. They are more defensive. They're better defensively, but Uh, The attack has not been that bad. I mean, it's still bad, but it's not that bad relatively when you look at the XG versus the actual goals allowed. And Liverpool, since January 1st, conceding about 0.87 expected goals per 90 and only conceding about 0.4 goals per match. Now, some of that is Allison. You expect them to overperform a little. But if you look at the post-shot numbers, Allison only explains about half of the overperformance. The rest of it is just opponents not shooting well against Liverpool. and. From a matchup point of view, and the reason I'm not taking the plus two and a half is because I do think Liverpool has a clear incentive to run up scores because goal difference could very well decide this league title. So I think that's something you absolutely have to consider at the margins where, you know, in a normal situation, not that Liverpool ever really sits on a lead, but they're going to be more incentivized to go for it up 2-0, 3-0 late. And therefore, I'm not taking the plus two and a half because I do think this is a bad matchup for Watford. They can't really play through pressure. They struggle against presses. and we, we saw earlier this season, different manager for Watford, but they got absolutely embarrassed in that game. So I'm going to take Watford team total over a half. My projections are actually pretty close to what the number is. I project Liverpool's minus seven ten, but they do play a bit more open and they take more chances when they're playing at home and with the lead because they're going to be chasing the goal difference. So even if this is two, three nil, I think Watford absolutely live to get on the board. Yeah. I'm, kind of going in the same direction with you. I actually like Watford at plus 425 to score first. We've seen Liverpool do ship a goal to Norwich City and, and need to come back. And it's not it's not out of the question for them to do so. Um, I do want to touch on, on Hodgson for just a second before I pass it to BJ. Uh, since he took over, Watford's allowed 15 goals against on 11.6 expected goals in nine games played in the Premier League. He's done a fantastic job with this team, completely turning it around. Um, and giving them hope, which I don't think that it looked like they had much hope in staying in the Premier League after that Norwich City loss uh, in Claudio Ranieri's last game. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to Roy Hodgson. I think Watford in in a couple different derivatives are, are definitely live here and the value side. And I'll probably have a little taste of the 20 to one on the money line. BJ, 
What about you? I have zero interest in betting this game. I'm glad you guys believe in the Watford offense because uh, not necessarily that I don't. I just really have – once we get later in the season, especially and we'll talk about Manchester City in a second, I just – these teams with these such large spreads against teams that are playing for relegation, I just really have no interest. I mean, I have Liverpool projected right at minus 800. So I'm pretty much dead on with what it ha- – uh, you know, in terms of the market has. The, that last – that game that they played against Watford, I – vaguely remember basically Watford not being able to get out of their own half of the field. And it was just Liverpool, just constant onslaught after onslaught. I mean, they had a 40% successful pressure rate against Watford. So uh, obviously when this game gets to a blowout, it obviously plays into the Watford team total over a half, but I just really have no interest in this line. I'm probably going to be passing and playing different games. So I look forward to watching Liverpool win five to one. Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, this is the seven thirty match Eastern time. So there is no better way to spend a early Saturday morning on the East Coast or if you're in you know, the West Coast, uh, you know, 4.30 a.m., getting up and watching Watford get seven shots and then try to score one of them. You know, uh, I think that'll be really fun. I project 0.62 goals for Watford here. So uh, I do think they have a decent chance of getting just the one breakthrough that they're a little due for. So. Uh, hopefully we get some some magic and some Ishmael Asar or maybe a Musa Sissoko moment. There's been a few of those this year. Yeah. Yeah, he's been he's been a real boss in the middle of the pitch for them. That's for sure. Um City uh they're speaking of City, they're they're playing Burnley uh in at Turf Moor. Burnley's 13 to 1 on the money line. City's minus 450, the draws plus 550. Uh, coming into the weekend, City's minus 225 to win the Premier League. Liverpool comes back at plus 165. Man City is one point ahead. They're on 70 points. Liverpool at 69. They have a big showdown coming against one another in, what, about a week? So it's just a, a nice kind of easier way into their next their their next match against one another. Burnley has been an absolute joy matchup for City since Pep Guardiola has taken over. They've blown him out several times, and they're coming into this. Burnley's coming into this one in, in terrible form. They've lost three in a row, 8-0 on aggregate. And, um, you know, we, we know City had a little bit of a wobble before the international break with the draw to Crystal Palace. They had a lucky win against Everton. So it doesn't see it's not a terrible time, I don't think, to to fade City, but I'm, I'm not going to be doing it with this Burnley side. So I'll be passing on City and Burnley. BJ, what do you have? Yeah, I'm, I'm passing to uh, obviously, you know, the narrative is that Burnley plays much better at home than they do on the road. And some of the teams that have come have slipped off. Manchester United obviously comes to mind. The problem is, is before the international break, the, the Burnley defense has just been so, so sloppy, especially the Leicester and Chelsea games. They were playing a really good half against Chelsea, and then things just completely fell apart for them. And that's the, the worry that I have here against Manchester City. I mean, the, the last meeting between these two teams – Burnley did create one expected goal and didn't score uh, at the Etihad. But um, yeah, I mean, Manchester City, you could say, is in a look ahead spot uh, with the Champions League match coming in the midweek, but against Atletico Madrid. But I mean, they, they're still in a huge Premier League title race. So I don't really think it's that huge of a look ahead spot. Uh, I have this projected dead on pretty much with the over under and the money line spread, whatever, whatever is out there. I just have no interest again in playing uh, this game. Yeah. I think Burn- it's been a, a funny little spell from Burnley. They had that really strong first half against Liverpool. They had a strong first half against Chelsea uh, and they just were, then were <laughs> played off the park and they the beat Tottenham football. and they beat Tottenham. Yeah. It's just been a, a very, strange few weeks for them. And then, um, you know, people start to believe in them. Oh, Deitch is doing it again. He's going to keep them up. And then they lose three in a row um, and give up eight to zero scored. And yeah, their defensive metrics all season. They've been very unburnly. Anthony, uh, I think you're passing on this one as well. I am. I think there's two different ways you could look at this. You could say, okay, City have four consecutive matches coming up against Atletico Madrid, Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, and Liverpool. And they are not going to be entirely focused coming off an international break on this tricky road trip to Burnley. And thus it could be a sleepy under that they win one, two nil, but on the other angle, and I just said this Liverpool city has to be worried about goal difference because of how explosive Liverpool's offense is and their, and their attack and their ability to pile up goals. Does that come into consideration for city who normally would sit on a two goal lead, but as we've seen in the past, they have the ability to run it up on Burnley and it's just not been a good matchup for Sean Dyche in the past. So I am passing here. Uh, no real interest from me. 
Although I do concern a little bit about the potential look ahead, given the number of bigger fixtures against better teams coming up the next two weeks for City. And I can't wait for next week where we get to talk about the City-Liverpool matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun. Staying in the 10 a.m. window, Chelsea, they're minus 290 at home, hosting Brentford. The Bees coming back, they're 9-1. to one. The draw is 4-1 to one on the three-way money line. I think we, we're hard on Chelsea a lot, and I do think they do deserve a little bit of credit for the way they've went into the international break. Four wins from four matches, only 3.3 expected goals allowed in their last five Premier League matches, and those came against some decent competition. Not exactly murderers row, but Spurs, Palace, Newcastle, all teams that were in decent form or at least in Spurs case, like that's a top four contender. So uh, hats off to Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel, especially during this incredibly strange time for them. But I think that at this number, there's a, I have a little bit of interest on Brentford who have started to uh, play better. Uh, they were unlucky in their last match in uh, against Leicester. They, they won the expected goals battle there and they just seem to be playing much more like the team that we sort of fell in love with in the fall than the team that, was really struggling and found itself in a reg, uh, relegation battle in uh, the winter. And Anthony, I know uh, you're back on the Brentford bandwagon as well. Yeah. I'd like to say that I never left the Brentford bandwagon. You know, I think there was a period of struggle that they went through as teams adapted to how they were playing their defense regressed, which I did think would happen. We talked about that early in the year, their defense just was never going to hold up those top seven, eight numbers. When you looked at the personnel just didn't really match up. This is just numbers for me. I project Chelsea as a 1.13 goal favorite at home here uh, and only minus 210 to win. They're right around minus 290, minus 300. Chelsea has only conceded three goals from an expected six conceded on set pieces, which is important against Brentford because Brentford, number four in the Premier League in shots from set pieces, third in XG from set pieces, but they were only ninth in goals. So those regression indicators... One of the main reasons Chelsea has overperformed this year and one of the main reasons Brentford has underperformed in terms of attacking and defending has come on set pieces where Brentford, we know, has put a lot of time and resources into being advantaged on those, you know, whether it's throw-ins, corners, or free kicks. They, they are one of the best teams in the league at generating clear chances off of those. And Brentford is the unluckiest team in the league when you look across all the metrics. 47 goals conceded from just 39 expected And this is not a great spot for Chelsea. And I feel like we've been saying that a lot. And you're right. They do deserve credit. Their defense has played better. And this was something BJ was on that I was still a little skeptical of. The defense has played considerably better leading into the international break. But now they're coming off the break and they do have a brutal look ahead with with Real Madrid on Wednesday. They're pretty much safe in third in the league. They're not really going up and they're probably not falling down unless something really catastrophic were to happen. So really all their chips go into Wednesday. So, you know, you wonder what the team may look like coming off of an international break where a lot of their players are internationals compared to Brentford, where that's not really the case. Uh, Chelsea also, you know, we talk about defensive regression so much. 1.25 expected goals per 90 since January. They're scoring about 1.75 off of those. So they, they have run a bit hot. It's coincided with Lukaku being dropped, which is interesting. But this team, I, I took some Brentford first half plus a half, and I took some Brentford plus 1.5 for the full game. I split my unit there. I just think Chelsea has the opportunity to explode at any moment. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were flat in the first half and then rolled in the second half, or could also see a scenario where Chelsea's just kind of up one nil and kind of rides it out the whole game. So I'm going to ride with Brentford. I do think the addition of Christian Eriksen also makes this team much more dangerous. We have already seen how much he's meant for Denmark scored for Brentford as well. So uh, I think he makes a big difference for this team. Yeah. I think uh, you put it, pretty well right this is a potential sleepy spot for Chelsea and and Thomas Tuchel he's he's a very you know, pragmatic and, and frank manager so I don't think he'd be the type of guy that would be afraid of saying that no we are going to rotate guys because of the Champions League coming and we're not in the title race so that's why I think the nine to one on Brentford like I'll I'll gladly take a shot on nine to one to find out if if Chelsea is going to you know sleepwalk through this one and, and it does seem like it's going to be a little bit this matchup makes it feel like it's going to be a pretty cagey affair uh, and I think that's where you're going, right, BJ? Yeah, to put some numbers to Anthony's point about Chelsea becoming a really, really good defensive team again, they're basically back to what we saw over the second half of the season last year when Tuchel took over. Since December 16th, they're only allowing 0.66 expected goals per match, and only one team 
it was Liverpool over that stretch has created over one expected goal against their defense. And they've only allowed three big scoring chances in their last 10 matches, which is basically what Brentford lives off of. But Anthony already mentioned it. The Chelsea offense hasn't really been that great. I mean, that over that same time stretch uh, since December 16th, only 1.39 expected goals per match. So that means Chelsea's matches over the past two and a half months are only averaging a total of 2.05 expected goals. So that's why I'm leaning more towards the under and Brentford, We've seen their offense improve, but it has to be said they have got some penalty luck. They got two penalties against Norwich and one against Burnley. So if you take away those penalties, 6.1 non-penalty expected goals in their last seven matches, and they have struggled against some of the top defenses in the Premier League this season, 7.7 expected goals in eight matches uh, against the top five defenses on expected goals allowed. What's interesting is the first time that these two teams met, it was kind of the peak of the Brentford uh, unlucky, uh, stretch Chelsea won one, nothing, uh, at the Brentford community stadium, but Brentford won the expected goals about a 1.6 to 0.3 and held Chelsea to five shots and only 20 touches in the penalty area. So we obviously things have changed a little bit since then, but we'll see if, if they can hold Chelsea to that type of offensive output, I think we're going to see a very low scoring game. So I only have around 2.2 goals projected for this match. So under two and a half goals is at minus one Oh five. So that's where I'm going. Uh, for this London Derby. We'll move on to Brighton Hove Albion. They're minus 215 hosting Norwich City. They're 7-1. The Canaries are. The draw is plus 330. Another 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Six losses on the spin for Brighton Hove Albion. They've been outscored 13-1 to in that span, and their expected goals numbers are not great. But they do suggest that there's some positive regression coming. 5.7 expected goals for and 11 expected goals against in that span. Norwich is 0-5, win, draw, loss in their last five. They are doomed for relegation once again. Uh, They're giving up 2.74 expected goals uh, per match in that span, and they've allowed uh, at least three expected goals three times in their last five matches. I think this is a great get-right spot for Brighton. I like the minus one and a half at plus 150. And I don't mind, you know, if it, I think BJ, you'll talk about this a little bit too. If, if you sit back and just wait maybe 10 minutes, if it's a scoreless match, then getting in on Brighton then, but uh pre-match, I think uh, minus one and a half for me at, at a, at a good number plus plus one fifty is where I'll be going. Yeah. I think that there is a potential to wait and get Brighton at a better number. I mean, looking through some of Brighton's numbers by essentially the, the timing of when they, when their goals come, they've actually been the cardiac Kings <laughs> this year in the premier league. 10 of their 26 goals scored have come in the final 15 minutes of the game. And that is where Norwich in the final 15 minutes of each of the games this season, Norwich has a minus 10.3 expected goal differential. So I think you could see a scenario. I mean, this happens quite a bit with Brighton when they face these sides that are essentially below them, you know, what the games against Watford and Leeds come to mind, especially with them being at home where they completely dominate a match for the first however long it is, and they either ends up being a 0-0 draw or they actually get the goal to go up one nothing. So uh, I think that this is a, a really good chance, even if Brighton goes down early, to, to jump in on them live. Uh, they're really much better second-half team than they are first half. So, um, you know, obviously Norwich uh, has scored in four of their last five matches, so it's not out of the question that they get on the board here against Brighton and uh, we can get them at a good number live. Um, I did lean pregame under two and a half goals, which is at minus 125. Both teams scored no at minus 155, but given the fact that Norwich has actually scored uh, as of late and shown some signs offensively, that's keeping away from that. But yeah, I think this is a good chance. Uh, Hopefully we get a good opportunity to get it on Brighton live. Anthony, I know you're not terribly interested from a betting perspective, but do you have two cents on this one? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just sad at this point. I'm sad because we had so much fun with Brighton and really I have a Brighton to finish top half ticket that I felt very good about when they were sitting in seventh, you know, pretty comfortably into the season, six straight league defeats. It feels like the magic's run out on our boys here. I'm not sure what's going on, but of course it's not as bad as those six defeats look. I mean, they're only minus 0.3 XG per 90 different which is bad for them, but not nearly as bad as they've run. I mean, they're minus 1.3 goal difference per 90, and that includes controls for some red cards. Uh, Norwich does defend crosses relatively well. They keep crosses out of the box, which is a major key of how Brighton likes to attack. I actually thought we'd get a cheap number on Brighton, and I bet them, but I mean, there's just no value there. So uh, you could make a case for a Brighton team total over if you like pain, but the number's not there. And, and Norwich has been so bad defensively. Also, 
you know, one team is still safe in the mid table and looks like they've checked out a little bit. The other team fighting for relegation. That, that, that's all enough for me to stay away here. I don't really have a, a strong read besides maybe if you, if you're really itching to bet it, I would go Norwich team total over, but I'm personally not getting involved here. One of the teams that Norwich is uh, looking to chase for relegation is Leeds United and Jesse Marsh. Um, let's just set that up real quick. Brentford is in 15th place right now, 30 points from 30 games. Leeds, 29 points from 30 games. Everton, 25 from 27. Watford, They're fine, Michael. <laughs> Watford, 22 points from 29. Uh, Burnley's 21 points from 27. Norwich City, 17 points from 29 uh, games played. And if you look at the odds, Norwich is uh, basically off the board at this point. Watford minus 750 to be relegated. Burnley's odds on minus 175. Everton plus 225. True odds like minus 500 if you're if you're really <laughs> looking for a true number. Leeds plus 275. And then the B's of Brentford, they're eight to one. So Leeds, let's talk about them for a minute. They're plus 145 at home to Southampton. Uh, Ralph Hassan, who side coming back at plus 180. The draw is plus 265. What do you make of Leeds? I'm going to start with you, Anthony. Like it's 2-0-2 win draw loss under Jesse Marsh. The expected num- Cole's numbers are terrific. Uh, almost double in terms of expected goals for towards uh, expected goals against 8.284, 4.27 against. The goals numbers, five, the actual goals, five goals, four, seven goals against in that four-game stretch. And we know a four-game sample size isn't enough to really make a, a a robust conclusion from, but is it enough to act on in a situation like this? I think so. I think the leads story of the season has to really start at the beginning of the year when they were projected to get 53 and a half points. And I thought that was high, but that's projected around 10th or 11th. And then what happened, right? So Bielsa burnout was real. They had major problems with health and injury and not being able to press effectively and just conceding a dumb amount of expected goals and goals and really just couldn't stop anything. I mean, they were conceding over two, two and a half expected goals for about a month. And a lot of that coincided with not having Calvin Phillips, not having Liam Cooper, not having Luke Ayling, Stuart Dallas. Well, all of them are back. Melier, Ayling, Dallas, Cooper, Robin Cock, Calvin Phillips, all expected to play on Saturday. Uh, 30, 333 minutes of, of Jesse Marsh ball leads plus 0.64 XG per 90. That's impressive when you look at it. I know that also factors out the red card where they scored three goals on Wolves and a half. Uh, sorry guys, uh, but they've been extremely unlucky at both ends of the pitch under Marsh. And this is not the first time Marsh has been unlucky. I'm convinced he may just be cursed because Leipzig had the same problems, but they're a bet on team for me for the rest of the season. I'm buying low on this team. I really don't think they're in danger of relegation. I think they're going to end up relatively safe, clearly better than Everton and Burnley already ahead of them in the table. Uh, and they even, you know, they were up a man, but they did create 1.4 expected goals and three goals when down or up a man against Wolves. So I think that's still worth something given how good we think Wolves defense is, even though we're not really sold on that. Uh, And Saints have fallen off a bit. They were due for some regression. They've lost four in a row in all competitions. Uh, They definitely have cooled a bit. And now they're kind of just coasting here. Uh, Southampton did dominate the last matchup, but again, Leeds, go back and look at the lineup from that game. Leeds played a bunch of academy guys and backups. So I think this is a cheap number at home. Pick minus 120, 130 is fine. It wouldn't go higher than 130 because now you're kind of paying a premium. But I think we're getting a really good buy on team for the rest of the season in Leeds. Quick anecdote, Leeds United uh, fan. I don't know if anybody saw it, but over the weekend, Buddy Franklin, Lance Buddy Franklin of the Sydney Swans in the Australian Football League kicked his 1,000th goal and all the fans rushed the fields. And uh, one of the sideline reporters was interviewing the fans and some guy started singing, we all love Leeds, we all love Leeds. So it was, just shows you that that fan base and that home field advantage is, is for real. Um, on that note, BJ, what uh, what do you have for Leeds and Saints? Yeah, shout out Ellen Road. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, Leeds have improved under Jesse March. There's like no denying that. Seven expected goals for in his four matches in charge. But defensively, I even though the expected goals numbers are better, I just still don't trust this Leeds defense. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know the last month that Leeds had a clean sheet in the Premier League? October? November. It was November I was 30th. Guess, I was going to guess October too. November 30th against. Crystal Palace is the last time that they've actually had a clean sheet. That's 19 matches consecutively where they've conceded at least one goal. So we can sit and talk here about how they've been unlucky, but the reality is they're 
dead last in the Premier League in non-penalty expected goals allowed for a reason. So facing a Southampton offense that has been really good as of late, 1.7 expected goals per match since the start of February, I am expecting pure chaos in this entire match because we know that these are two of the most frenetic pressing teams in the Premier League, but they're also two of the worst teams against pressure. So I think we're just going to see end-to-end a lot of not a lot of uh, build-up play or possession base. It's going to just be back and forth. Obviously, you know Calvin Phillips being back in gives Leeds a lot more structure. But I mean, Leeds is the heaviest counterattacking profile in the league. I mean, they have seventy-four direct attacks this season. That's the most in the Premier League. So I have little over three goals projected. Over three goals is at plus one ten right now. I'm leaning towards playing that. I'm just waiting to see if I could potentially get uh, a better number. But I'm just expecting pure chaos in this match. Yeah, I think the biggest question is what do you what do you make of that period when leads were awful, awful, like worse than can, relegation level defense? I mean, you could throw and it I, out, I, but I'm not throwing it out. I just don't know how to weight it properly, and that's no. my biggest question mark with with regards right. to their defense being as bad as it's been because it has been better in the four games with Marsh marginally. So I, I just don't know. I think it's a it's an ongoing question, but it's one I'm willing to bet that they improve. You can throw out that stretch and just say, all right, yep, they were playing the academy, like whatever it is. But, but even as of late, I mean, you can point, I mean, obviously, you know, Southampton isn't at the level of Liverpool, but I mean, six, I mean, five expected goals. You know, you're looking at the game against Aston Villa where they gave up 1.4. They got throttled by Everton at home with a pretty full strength squad there. Like, this is still a pretty bad defense. I know they've improved against, you know, Norwich and Wolves. I mean, those are two of the worst offenses in the Premier League. So, I still really don't trust this defense. I mean, I, I think we just need more sample size under Jesse Marsh to actually make a, a final conclusion just because of how bad. And obviously Leeds is one of these teams stylistically that they play very open. So they're very vulnerable to giving up these big type of scoring chances. And when you have a goalkeeper like Melier who hasn't been very good this season, obviously worse in the league, worse than the league, then yeah, their numbers are going to look bad. And even, but even though their expected goals numbers indicate some regression positively, like there's still the worst defense in the premier league by expected goals. So at some point you have to just sit here and say, you know what, given the style of this, this team plays like their defense is just bad. They're just going to be wide open and they're going to concede chances, which is what we've seen the last two seasons. And they haven't had the offensive output to make up for that. So now that they have some of those player type of players back, I think that we'll see the offensive output kick up. I mean, you've seen in the last two games, obviously Wolves got the red card, but I mean, 2.7 against Norwich is a very positive sign going in the right direction. 1.9 against Leicester. That's another positive sign going in the right direction. So I think we're going to see more high scoring games from Leeds, even though Calvin Phillips is back and gives him more structure. His defense is just still bad. I mean, I don't, there's, I don't think there's really a way of sugarcoating it. From Yorkshire to the black country for Wolves, they're plus 200 at home hosting Aston Villa. Plus 165 road favorites. Uh, the draw here is plus 205. I don't know if I would make Villa a road favorite in this matchup. I think it's a little rich here. Um, so I'm looking at Wolves. Uh, both teams are in very inconsistent form. Wolves 4-0 and 5, win, draw, loss. Villa 3-1 and 4, win, draw, loss. And uh, their last seven, Wolves 4-1 and 5 in the last nine. Uh, Wolves 12 goals for and 10 goals against in that span. And the minus five go- uh, expected goal differential. So they've been even worse than uh, that record suggests. Meanwhile, Villa, uh, the 3-1-4 and four record, I think it's pretty fair. Their expected goals numbers are basically dead, even as is uh, their actual goal total. So I'm, I just think in a, in a mid-table clash between two teams, I think you know Wolves is still playing to maybe sneak into the top six or get Europa Conference League or whatever. Um, Villa, they're comfortably mid-table and not much to play for here. I just think that this number is a little high considering Wolves is at home and Villa hasn't really been playing all that well. There's, I don't know if there's that much to separate these two teams. So I'll take the two to one. I think it's that simple on Wolverhampton, a team that has been nothing but pain for me all season long. Anthony, what about you? Yeah. You know, this is a big revenge rivalry spot. Uh, Villa was up two nil in this Derby last time they played. And then Wolves had the famous comeback. They scored two goals in stoppage time, including the last kick of the game to win three, two, it was actually a wild game. I didn't, I didn't have any money on it, but it was a crazy finish. Uh, I actually make Wolves a slight favorite at home. And think about that. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, I've been the most anti-Wolves guy, I think, that on the earth in the last month, two, two months. Uh, and, and yeah, I just, I mean, the market has no respect for this team. Home underdogs to Villa was surprising to me. Uh, like I said, I make, I make Wolves a slight favorite. 
Uh, I kind of want to play them, but uh, I need a little more value to play it. So I'm passing here. Hopefully we get another three, two thriller. I think it could be a really good game. Uh, BJ, are you thinking the same thing that Anthony and I are? Yeah, I it's you know this this matchup more than anything it really really intrigues me. So first off, no Raul Jimenez, he's suspended for this one, and no Ruben Neves, which obviously hurts Wolves. But I mean, Anthony's talked about it. Twenty five goals allowed from forty two point nine expected, and you saw some of that it negative getting worse. I know you saw. I mean, you saw some of that negative regression hit against Leeds. Obviously, they were down to ten men, but this is what tends to happen. You know, statistically, is that you're going to regress towards the mean. The main reason for that, we've obviously talked about many times, Jose Saw is just standing on his head, plus 10.1 post-shot XG, plus minus. And secondly, which I think highlights a bigger point about Wolves, is that stylistically in their tactics are just extremely conservative sitting in a mid-block. They allow teams to come into the final third, but they're actually very good at not allowing them to create high-quality chances. Before the match against Leeds, Wolves has only allowed seven big scoring chances in in their last 13 matches. And for the season, they're seventh in the Premier League in big scoring chances allowed. Wolves offensively obviously has been struggling. They, you know, creating only over one expected goal one time in the last 10 matches. But I think it just highlights a bigger tactical change under Bruno Lage. You know, Wolves is very measured, meticulous in their build-up play than rather than the direct attacking style under Nuno Espirio Santo. I mean, Wolves, they're eighth in the Premier League in 10 plus pass sequences per opta, and then they're in the bottom half of the league in direct speed. So that tells me that they're more focused on possession-based style going forward. So even though they're drastically overperforming at both ends of the pitch, their style of play really lends itself to these low-scoring, slow-tempo type matches. But Aston Villa, on the other hand, you know, under Steven Gerrard, they've been playing low-event style matches too. I mean, they're only averaging 2.14 total expected goals per match. And defensively, they've been incredibly solid when they don't have to play Man City, Chelsea, or Liverpool. I mean, in the 16 matches when they didn't have to play one of those three teams under Gerrard, Aston Villa is only allowing 0.85 expected goals per match. So both teams to score no is minus 105. You know, under two and a half goals is priced pretty heavily. I believe it's uh, at minus 125 or minus 130 right now. So getting both teams to score no at, at minus 105, I think is a pretty decent price. I have the line at, at minus 161. But even though this match more than anything, because Wolves is a team I just can't figure out, I'm very interested to see how they're going to play uh, and set up against Aston Villa because I agree with you guys. And you might hear it a little bit later in the underdog section, but I don't really understand why Wolves is a home underdog here. I know they're without Neves and uh, Raul Jimenez, but still, I mean, it's, it's quite shocking, honestly. Jimenez has looked pretty line. washed this year. Yeah, I, I mean, they, I mean, I mean they can play XG per 90. Yeah, and Heechan Huang's back. Good. So, like, they can, they can piece together things up forward, which I think, you know, sometimes they become so focused on throwing crosses and getting the ball to Jimenez. And sometimes they've looked a little bit better when it's Trincao and Heechan Huang and, you know, other type of attacking players up top playing maybe, you know, uh, maybe a three, four, one, two and playing two strikers up top might benefit wolves a little bit, but it's just, I'm very, very interested to see how wolves is going to kind of play going forward. Cause you know, like you mentioned, they're pretty close to being comfortable in that getting close to that eighth spot. And let's see if they can make a push for uh top seven, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested to watch this match from a, a tactical standpoint. The 1230 PM Eastern time kickoff on Saturday, 1130 AM central time, which is what they, doing bj's native land of iowa that's mm-hmm. manchester united they're minus 190 hosting lesser city uh five to one on the money line this is an interesting one because both of these teams i would say that manchester united is just a much better version of leicester city what they've done this season right they both leicester city's got a terrible defense of the defense you can't trust United's defense also can't trust. They both can score in bunches on the counter. Um, it's just United's got better talent at doing that. So it's it's a funny uh, kind of Leicester City being a poor man's man United this season. Over their last five matches for United, 10 goals for, 8 goals against, uh, and 17 total XG in, in those five matches. So they're playing very high event, and we know what Leicester does. They just ship goals for fun. Uh, 6.8 expected goals allowed in their last three matches against Leeds, Arsenal, and Brentford. I think it feels like a an over game, but I, I'm gonna wait and maybe play this live after a few minutes if it if it starts scoreless for me the first 10 15 minutes because uh, as we've talked about with United this is a team that uh, their games just get off the rails eventually so I wouldn't and with Leicester what better foil than Leicester City for that so give me uh, a live over here between United and Leicester BJ what do you have? 
Yeah, both teams to score is at minus 150. I honestly think that's pretty cheap for how bad these two defenses have been. So you mentioned it, Leicester, 6.8 expected goals in their last three matches to Brentford, Arsenal, and Leeds. Well, what do you think Cristiano Ronaldo and company are going to do in this match? I mean, offense hasn't been the problem for United. They've actually been quite good. You know, when they don't have to play City, Chelsea, or Liverpool, they've been quite good. 26 matches against the rest of the Premier League, they're averaging 1.62 expected goals per match. And they've actually created 16.6 expected goals in their last seven matches in the Premier League. And, you know, the Red Devils are, are pretty much right where they should be. They're sitting inside the top five in the Premier League in non-penalty expected goals, uh, shots per 90, and big scoring chances. The problem is United runs into a lot of times is they're just not great at playing through pressure. I mean, they're 10th in offensive pass per defensive action. You see that a lot of times when they have to play teams that can press them at a high rate. Well, that's not going to be a problem against Leicester because they're bottom half of the Premier League in pretty much every single pressing metric. The Leicester offense, I mean, it has to be said, and they have to be given some credit. They're basically the reason why they're sitting in 10th place. I mean, they're they're 7th in non-penalty expected goals. But what's crazy is that Leicester has actually found the back of the net in 22 of their last 27 matches. The five matches that they didn't score were against City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and twice against Arsenal. So basically the four best defenses in the Premier League. But more importantly, they've created at least one expected goal in 19 of their 27 Premier League matches. And the last time these two teams met, it was chaos. I mean, 4-2 Leicester win at the King Power Stadium featured 40 shots, 58 shot-creating actions. And I also have to mention, these are two of the worst set-piece defenses in the Premier League. Leicester 13.2 expected goals allowed off set pieces. Man United 10.5 expected goals allowed. So I am expecting chaos. Uh, I mean, I don't hate an over uh, three goals. I, I think I have this projected a little over three goals, but my bull team score projection is minus 170. So I think minus 150 is a tad cheap. So that's where I'm going in this one. Anthony, uh, you're actually thinking there might be a path to success for the Foxes. Well, I think BJ mentioned to think about set pieces. Uh, and it's true. It's a major concern for Leicester. It has been all year. They're the worst defense in the league. Most shots, most XG allowed, second most goals allowed. But United has not really taken advantage of set pieces this year. They've been awful on them. Uh, only Norwich has fewer set piece goals than United this year. So I don't know that they can really exploit that Leicester weakness. My numbers also suggest there's a little bit of value on Leicester. I make United about minus 148 in this game. Uh, and they're about minus 180. Uh, I show a little bit of value on the plus one. That would be my lean for this. But again, you mentioned it. United's attack has been so much better since Sancho and Pogba have been healthy. And that's just a concern for me is that this attack could explode at any moment. And they've run a bit cold in the last month, month and a half. I know it's rare because United usually runs ridiculously hot and has seemingly done so for the last year and a half, but they have had a cold stretch and that could end at any time with regards to their finishing ability. And I think you know, it wouldn't shock me if Leicester were the team to finally break. With that being said, I agree. Leicester definitely has a lot of paths to success and attack here. Pats and Daka has been awesome. I think like if you were looking at Leicester, it's been a bad season, but his development as a potential Vardy replacement, huge long-term. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I don't think there's a ton here. Leicester's defense also since January 1st, 1.8 expected goals allowed they've only conceded 1.2 goals. So this defense has actually been getting a little fortunate, if anything. So I think this is just a major stay away from me with a slight lean to Leicester. Jerome roll, please. We now flip to Sunday morning, 9 a.m. at the London Olympic Stadium, West Ham, minus 125, hosting Everton, plus 350. The draw is plus 275. Like I said before, Everton are just north of 2-1, to one, plus 225 to be relegated with a huge match against Burnley on the road coming into midweek. So a little bit of a look ahead spot, but they need to get points from any game possible. And I don't think that they they'll think that this one is, is too far out of reach against West Ham. That being said, it probably should be uh, Everton's last four away matches. Oh, oh, and four win draw loss, two goals for 12 against. And on the season, do you guys know how many away wins Everton has this season? It should still be two, right? Wrong. It's one. They're one, three, and nine in the Premier League on the road. Against Ten. Norwich, right? No, they beat Norwich at home. Uh, they lost to them on the road. Uh, it was oh, against oh, yeah, that game. It was actually against Brighton uh, back in September. Since then, <laughs> no wins uh, for Everton on the road, and they've just been abysmal. Ten goals for, twenty-eight goals against in thirteen games played away from uh, Goodison Park. Their expected goals numbers: twelve point one expected goals for on the road, twenty-four expected goals against. This could be ugly, but 
I do think that there should be enough opportunities for Everton to get on the board. This West Ham defense in their last five gets good competition. Liverpool, Sevilla twice, Spurs, and Aston Villa have allowed eight expected goals. They've scored uh, or has created 7.4 expected goals for. So they play pretty high event style. And we know Everton's defense, they're terrible. And so West Ham should carry most, most of the water in terms of this play on the over here. I like the over two and a half at minus 110. But I do think Everton should be able to do their part too and get on the board. So two and a half, I think, is way too low for this total minus one ten. So I'll be going there and watching this one under the covers. Anthony, anything for you? West Ham and the Toffees. You know, I make West Ham minus one ten. I make Everton plus one ten to get a point. That's exactly what the number is right now. I still don't like this West Ham team. I think the regression indicators point downward on them. They've been very lucky in finishing and they've been running very hot. Uh, I'm hoping for some steam on West Ham so I can play the Toffees, but I tweeted this today. I don't know if you saw it, Michael. We have now had 613 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, you should block me. The 613 Premier League minutes of Everton at 11 on 11 under Frank Lampard. In that time span, Everton is minus eight goal difference. They've averaged 0.77 expected goals per 90, which is 19th in the league. They've allowed 1.64 expected goals per 90, which is 17th in the league. And their XG difference is 19th. Uh, Mina, Alan, Townsend, Davies, all out. Just so hard to back this Everton team. And I'm probably going to look to, I mean, the, the market's already out for the Wednesday game. We'll talk about that on Monday, but I might be fading them again on Wednesday. But overall here, no play. Uh, I'm hoping for West Ham's team, and then I will begrudgingly be betting Everton if the number gets there. But right now, happily passing. Yeah, I think the, the issues with Everton all stem from one area of the field, which is their back four, which it's it's been a mess. Nobody can play a pass out of the back, which is how Lampard prefers to play and wants them to play. And they, they, they don't defend with any confidence. John Joe Kenny is still getting game time. Seamus Coleman's 35 years old and has played a ton uh, for them. They're, they're not confident enough, I guess, in Nathan Patterson yet. The young Scott, who's looked good for Scotland, don't know why it uh, – they bring him in in the middle of a relegation scrap, but if he's not going to play, hopefully he does. But I think that's why everything is so bad. Then the numbers look bad for Everton under Lampard, but I think a lot of it is just not his fault. It's all, this all stems from having a brutal, brutal back four. Michael Keane, Mason Holgate getting a lot of time still in the center as center backs and Seamus Coleman and John Joe Kenny as the main uh, fullback. So I don't, I just don't think, you're going to see any improvement from this team in terms of underlying metrics with that defense. So uh, we'll, I'm just praying I'm going to watch this game. I'm going to be bricking it and just hoping that they can get through the season and then fix that. And Yuri Mina, wherever you are, man, just please come back and help see us out. Um, BJ. Yeah. For those fans of uh, Everton relegation talk, I think we'll probably spend what half hour, 45 minutes on, on Monday talking Everton Burnley, but yeah, I have, Really no interest in this match. I have West Ham projected around minus 130. The problem for West Ham uh, is no, probably no Jared Bowen in this match, which is just so huge for their offense. Uh, Anthony mentioned it, the, the Everton numbers under Frank Lampard are not good. Sorry to laugh a little bit there. Um, so I will happily uh, be passing on this match as I, I think the market is correct on it. The 11.30 a.m. kickoff on Sunday is Tottenham, minus 195, hosting Newcastle, plus 550. The draw is plus 330. The last time we saw Newcastle, they somehow lost to 10-man uh, Everton on the road in a game that featured a oil protester tying himself by his neck to a post at Goodison Park and then a 98th-minute winner from Alex Awobi of all people. It looked like Everton. We're back, baby. And then they lost 4-0 in the FA Cup quarterfinal to Crystal Palace on the road. Um, so back uh, to the ledge we go. Anyways, uh, last seven games for Newcastle, 5-0-2, win, draw, loss, 19 goals for, seven goals against, 14.6 expected goals for, and 8.7 expected goals against. They're also playing some pretty high event uh, soccer of late. And I think that just bodes really well for Tottenham, a team that thrives off the ball being on the floor and uh, picking up passes and springing counters with Son and Kane. So a pretty tough matchup, I think, for Eddie Howe. He loves putting the football on the carpet and it's just playing right into Antonio Conte's hands. So I'll probably be passing on this one. I think this has spurs by uh, multiple goals written on it. Anthony, what do you have? Yeah, I lean toward the over. I don't have a ton on this. Uh, I think that we've talked about spurs overs. They've gone over, I think, five of their last six. A lot of that has to do with this attacking, finally Kane and Son taking their chances. 
They even should have gone over in a game. They went under because there was a, a bad penalty missed call by the referee. Uh, and so I think this Tottenham attack is firing on all cylinders. The most impressive thing to me, and I don't think any of us saw this coming, was Newcastle and how good they've been defending without the ball. That's not very Eddie Howe-like. They've made somehow this work with John Joe Shelby and Joe Willick and Joe Linton as a midfielder now, apparently. And, uh, th- you know, they've made some additions at the defensive situation. I mean, Dan Byrne is decent. Trippier's good, but injured. Uh, Target has has improved them. But none of these guys are really headline guys. So I just, I'm a little skeptical and they've run really hot. So I think this run ends here. I don't show a ton of value in Tottenham, but I am putting them in a money line uh, parlay, which I almost never do. But there's two spots on favorites that I really like this week in situations where the number is a bit inflated for me to lay it. So I'm going to parlay them. It is square, but it is fun. And the Spurs are the first leg, parlaying them with a game we're probably not going to talk about, but Barcelona against the Sevilla luck box. Uh, just going to ride the hot Barcelona train until it crashes because I've been saying this and we've all kind of hinted at this, that Barca's back. Well, I think they announced that in a big way against Real Madrid prior to the international break. And there's really nothing stopping them from a second place finish in La Liga. So I'm going with the Spurs Barca money line parlay already tracked it in the app, probably like the third parlay I've done this year, but two spots I like on favorites. Yeah. Um, I should note that I meant uh, Spurs were five. I read Spurs last seven record. They're five Oh and two, not Newcastle. Um, my mistake there. Uh, BJ, anything for you, Spurs and the Magpies? No, I'm just, um, I'm passing on this one, but I'm really looking forward to Antonio Conte's uh, introductory press conference at PSG next year. That's what I'm looking forward to. Great. Uh, let's move on to Monday then. Uh, Crystal Palace, they're plus 290 at home, hosting BJ's Arsenal, even money on the road. The draw is plus 235. I think this number is a little rich on the Gunners. Uh, we've talked a lot about Crystal Palace. Both defensively, they're fifth in non-penalty expected goals allowed, sixth in shots per 90, fourth in big chances allowed overall. And their uh, home numbers are just terrific. Despite a record that reads four wins, seven draws, and four losses, they have the fourth best uh, expected points in uh, terms of home form in the Premier League this season. Arsenal, they've been really good over for the past three months. They, they only have two losses since December 5th when they lost to Everton, of all people. Um, and those two losses came to Manchester City and Liverpool. However, uh, their expected goals numbers aren't great away from home. Minus 4.52 expected goal difference at uh, away from the Emirates. So I think Palace here is full value for uh, for an underdog play. Plus 290 on Patrick Vieira's side. That's where I'll be going for a little Monday night football magic. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, I wrote in my notes here. It's put up or shut up time for me on Arsenal. I looked back. I've only only bet one game that Arsenal has played the last eight pre-match. I just haven't had a strong read on them. I've kind of been looking for spots to sell high, but I also don't know where that point is. And I think this is a great spot to do it. And looking at the fixture list, I think I'm going to be fading them a good amount in the next month. And then it looks like we've got our date, BJ. Uh, May, the week of it's May not going to matter. The week of May 11th and May 12th looks like no, it's going to be the Derby it's not Day. not going to matter. That may decide top four. We'll see. Uh, you don't think it will. I think it may. No, uh, Arsenal really is interesting statistically when you look at their profile because they're not really possessing the ball more. They're not really doing anything when you look at their numbers between box entries and shots. Of course, they're getting more shots and chances than their opponents and their defense has improved a lot. But they're fourth in the Premier League in high turnovers forced despite being 14th in passes per defensive action. The only three teams who have more high turnovers, Liverpool, Southampton, and Leeds, but Palace are very comfortable uh, in playing in these kind of games that are a little bit frenetic, a little bit more up-tempo. Guys like Connor Gallagher, uh, they have good ball-carrying center backs, which I think is really important when you play Arsenal. Uh, I have not bet, like I said, an Arsenal match in a while, but I think this is to sell high because ESR, ML Smith-Rowe, and Saka now have 18 goals this season from 11 expected. They're running very hot. Uh, and defensively, too, there's some regression coming. Aaron Ramsdale is actually a below average keeper. I was surprised to realize that maybe he's just a camera keeper, but 31 goals against from just 27 post shot and 34 expected goals allowed. So all that indicates that they've been a bit fortunate defensively. And of course, palace at home. I mean, they've been so great this year at home plus 0.6 XG per 90 difference. So uh, I'm backing the Eagles to get a result at home and throw a little wrench in this top four race. And hopefully, I you know, I, from, a, from a fan perspective, of course, I want Tottenham to be in this till the final week. 
But from a neutral, I think even Michael would say it would be a hell of a derby if it was deciding Champions League in about a month. Yeah, and I think Palace, we saw it against uh, Man City. They are the perfect spoiler for these kind of races in the Premier League, especially when you got to do it at home. So I think Palace, man, that I think this number is way too good to be true. Plus 290 on the money line. BJ, what do you have on your gunners? Uh, well, Selhurst Park is the place that the, the Giants go to be slayed. So no, it doesn't give me a good feeling at all. I mean, they... Against so Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, and West Ham have all made a trip to Selhurst Park this season. And Crystal Palace has a plus 1.5 expected goal differential in those matches. And overall for the season, plus seven expected goal differential at home. What's funny about Crystal Palace is defensively, they're outstanding at defending from open play. Only 21 expected goals allowed from open play this season, which is actually fourth in the Premier League and just slightly behind Chelsea. But they've been awful. On set pieces, 13 goals allowed on the season. Arsenal does have 11 goals off of set pieces. So that is a worry for Crystal Palace. But with that being said, from a market perspective, I mean, Arsenal's, Arsenal's overvalued here. They just they just are. I mean, Arsenal is the type of offense that generates a ton of shots, but not many high-quality ones. So which is why you see, uh, like Anthony mentioned, Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka overperforming. Uh, a tad this season. I mean, Arsenal's uh, XG per shot is, is 0.1, which is actually quite low. So facing Crystal Palace defense, that's top five in terms of expected goals allowed and also top five in terms of expected goals allowed per shot. So I think it's going to be difficult here for Arsenal to create a lot of high quality chances. I have this match projected actually pretty close to a pick them. So um, the value definitely is on Crystal Palace plus half a goal uh, at minus 115. And this just screams like one, one draw to me. All right, uh, really, really interesting slate of Premier League matches. We've gone on for a while here, so let's quickly get through uh, some of our favorite bets in the rest of Europe. We'll start in the Bundesliga, and we'll start with you, Anthony. This was the first bet I made when I took my first pass through the card on Monday. Leverkusen and Hertha Berlin under three and a quarter goals at minus 115. I might go broke betting this Hertha team to start playing better than they have played. Uh, They did defend very well in a goalless draw they had with Hoffenheim just before the break a team who I think is similarly due for a little bit of attacking regression. This Leverkusen team may not have Patrick Schick now. He did not play for the Czech Republic in their World Cup qualifying match, and he was withdrawn from the team due to an injury, so we don't know yet what his status is. But if he's out, I mean, he's the hottest striker in the Bundesliga based on finishing. He is their best chance taker. And again, 66 goals from 50 expected is absurd, but they have struggled a little bit lately. I mean, They didn't score against Atalanta at home in a must-win spot in the Europa League. And then they needed two late goals against Wolfsburg in the final five minutes in the game. They were pretty dominated at home. So I'm just not sure what to, what we're going to get from this Leverkusen team, especially if Schick is not able to go. Hertha's pretty compact defensively. They're going to let Leverkusen have the ball, which doesn't really help Leverkusen who prefers to play in transition, prefers to play in space. And Hertha, again, 47 expected goals allowed, but they've conceded over 60 this year. So this team, as bad as they've been, they're never as bad as it looks. And I think that's really the case with Hertha and only 33% of their variance between those two numbers is really poor goalkeeper play. Whereas everything else has come down to just bad luck. So I'm taking the under, I do think Leverkusen wins. They're at home. They're the much better team, but like I see it as like a two, one, you know, two, zero type game, maybe one, one, zero could see maybe a point for Hertha, but don't see a ton of goals in this. I like uh, the Dortmund Leipzig under three at plus 100 right now. That's a Saturday, 1230 PM kickoff since January 1st, uh, RB Leipzig, eight goals allowed. That's first in the Bundesliga, 9.42 expected goals allowed. That's also first. And they're overperforming on offense, 27 goals for on 18.3 expected goals for. Then you go to Dortmund since January 1st, that same span, 12 goals allowed. That's third. 11.6 11.6 expected goals allowed, also third. And they're also overperforming on offense. 26 goals for on 19.1 expected goals for. So I'll take the under in a pretty big match for both teams, especially Dortmund, the Erling Holland farewell tour, trying to catch Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. I'll take the under three, even money on Saturday at noon. BJ, what do you got? Going back to our boys from Mines, plus half a goal, minus 145 against Gladbach. I mean, Gladbach defensively, it's been bad for a long time now. Only teams they've held under one expected goal in their last 15 matches, Armenia Bielefeld and Hertha Berlin, two of the worst offenses in the Bundesliga. Uh, you've mentioned a couple times, Michael, but the Bo Svensson revolution that has hit Mines is just, he. what he's done is he switched them tactically to a 3-4-2-1 
It's given them so much more flexibility. And he's also turned them just into a pressing monster. I mean, they're sixth in high turnovers and they've have six goals off those turnovers, which is the most in the Bundesliga per Opta. So for a Gladbach team that is awful in transition defense and very susceptible to getting beat uh, on the counter and giving up big scoring chances, uh, I think this is a really good matchup for Mines. Not to mention the last time these two teams met, uh, Gladbach was only able to muster 12 shots uh, and 15 touches in Mines penalty area. So uh, I actually have Mines projected pretty close to a pick with Gladbach. So uh, I definitely love them plus half a goal minus 145. All right, let's stay with you uh, for your favorite bet in Syria. Uh, yeah, AC Milan, Bologna, under two and a half goals, a plus 105. The AC Milan resurgence up to the top of the table, and especially over the past two years, has really can be summed up how rock solid they've been defensively. I mean, this season they're only allowing 0.85 non-penalty expected goals per match, and they become a nightmare to try to play through in terms of their pressing. I mean, it's been really, really good. I mean, there's, their pass per defensive action is sitting at 8.8, and they're forcing a little over nine high turnovers per match, which is the most in Serie A. While that's great, it hasn't really lent itself to high quality chances at the other end of the pitch. I mean, they're only have three goals off of all those high turnovers this year. And honestly, the Milan offense just hasn't been creating many chances lately. 9.4 expected goals in the last eight matches. They're outside the top 10 in big scoring chances while Bologna, who isn't that great of a defensive team was still sixth in big scoring chances allowed. And the Bologna offense has been very pitiful. Uh, all season long, but 8.6 expected goals in the last 10 matches. The problem is, is they're just way too reliant on set pieces, you know, 19 from open play nine from set pieces this season. That's just not great. And uh, really concerning if you just need a lot of corners and free kicks uh, to score a lot of your goals, which uh, is not good against really good defense like AC Milan. So I only have 2.2 goals projected for this one. So I like under two and a half goals at plus one Oh five. Anthony, what, uh, what about you in Italy? Yeah, Lazio Sassuolo under three goals at minus 105. I only project 2.69 for this game. Lazio only had six shots on the road the last time these two teams played in a 2-1 loss. Uh, there only was two expected goals in that match. Both teams are the two biggest attacking overachievers in all of Syria, along with Milan. Uh, those three teams all do for some Syria's under regression. And, uh, you know, Lazio, I'm, I'm fairly convinced, will never regress. They're just going to be the greatest finishing team of all time under Sari. But that's not really like a pattern that sorry teams have had in the past. So I don't really understand how they're sustaining this. They do create a lot of big chances. They don't create a ton of shots. But even still, it's just ridiculous at this point. And uh, I'm taking the under three. And if there's an early goal and there's a live three and a half out there, I'll probably grab some more uh, in this game because I do think that Sassuolo, as much as I like their attackers, you know, uh, Skamaka and Raspadori, they have scored 10 over their expected as well. So two teams who are just running hot. And I'm betting on them to uh, cool off a little bit here when they meet usually likes to be a good under and then hopefully it doesn't get too chaotic. All right, let's move to Spain now in La Liga. I like athletic club Bilbao. No surprise there. Minus one and a half plus one fifty against Elche. This is Sunday, 8 a.m. kickoff Elche. They're 19th in non-penalty expected goals for per 90, 18th in shots per 90 and 19th in big chances and 16th in box entries. Meanwhile, Athletic Club, they're top six in all of those metrics. So at home, I like Athletic Club's chances to get margin here, win by multiple goals. So I'll gladly take plus 150 on our boys from the Basque country, Athletic Club Bilbao. Anthony, uh, what do you have for La Liga? I already mentioned I have the Barcelona parlay with Tottenham. Uh, I'm grabbing some Osasuna plus a half. Again, another Real Betis fade. Uh, This team continues to just keep not scoring. They've cooled off considerably in the last month. I'm just going to keep riding it. Then now they're playing one of the best defenses in all of Spain and Osasuna, who is top six in a lot of defensive metrics. When you look across the board in terms of expected goals allowed, I think this is going to be a very low event game. And I'm going to take the dog in what projects closer to a toss up. BJ, uh, do you have anything for us in La Liga? Absolutely, Michael. Granada, Rayo Vallecano over two and a half goals at plus 125. Granada is somehow their matches have been coming quite chaotic lately. I mean, 3-2 win over Alaves before the international break where four total expected goals are created between the two sides. That is now six of their last eight matches where at least two and a half expected goals were created. And a lot of that has to do with just how bad Granada's defense has been all season long. I mean, they're dead last in La Liga in pretty much every single metric, including crosses completed in their own penalty area, which is huge in this matchup because Rayo Vallecano's 4-2-3-1 system is very reliant on creating a lot of their chances down the flanks. So they have the third uh, lowest percentage in terms of their attacks coming through the middle of the pitch, 
And it shows because they have the second most completed crosses into the opponent's penalty area per 90 minutes. And Granada is also dead last in La Liga at aerial duel win percentage. So I think you can definitely see Viacano getting maybe one or two goals off of crosses, corners, uh, or maybe even a header. On the flip side, you know, Granada has found some life in their offense, 8.4 expected goals in their last five matches. Viocano has somewhat fallen off a cliff defensively, which we could see coming because the first half of the season, they were drastically overperforming their expected goals numbers defensively. Since the calendar turned to 2022, Rio Viocano has not kept a clean sheet in a La Liga match. So with a price of plus 125 and over two and a half goals, I have around 2.4 goals projected. So uh, I think there's some decent value on the over between these two teams. All right, uh, we'll move on to League 1. Anthony, you have a play for us in France. Yeah, a rare one for me. It was funny. BJ and I were on a Zoom earlier this week, and I just took a quick glance at the schedule, and I said, oh, San Etienne is hosting Marseille this week. We're betting San Etienne. Uh, the boys have played a lot better, and I know I said they weren't going to get relegated, and I still believe that. Uh, they are up to 18th in the table now. Uh, BJ, I don't know how you feel about this, but it looks like they're going to survive. We'll see. Uh, the expected goals numbers have improved recently. They've played considerably better, and now they're getting one of the more overrated teams in France. I've come around a bit on my position preseason that Marseille Thank was you. going to be improved, and they are better than last year, but not by a ton, and they're still overperforming. And granted, they're a team who generally will overperform, but we've seen the saint end team, you know, they get a draw with Lille. They were pretty competitive with PSG. Uh, and then beat Mets at home. So they've been much better in the last month, and I'm expecting them to continue that form as they ride out of relegation. I took them plus a half, minus 120. And BJ, as, as usual, you have uh, something for us in legal. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, well, first of all, to answer Anthony's question, Mets and Bordeaux are going down. Uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point. And, you know, San Antoine might be in that relegation playoff, which should be fun. But, no, I love uh, um, a snoozer. Uh, Troy Ace and Stade de Reims, both teams have scored no at minus 140. Uh, Troy Ace is still fighting off relegation. Reims is pretty comfortably in the middle of the table and can really just coast out for the rest of the season. But these are two of the three worst offenses in France. I mean, both of them are averaging under one expected goal per match. I mean, there hasn't been, there, there's only been eight matches for Reims and 10 for Troy Ace, where both teams have created over at least one expected goal. And we're talking about 29 matches into the season. They're also, these are two teams that provide the least resistance of anybody in, in Ligue 1. I mean, they're both, they're 19th and 20th in passes per defensive action. In fact, Troyes is dead last in France in high turnovers and shots created off those high turnovers, which is great news for Reims, who really struggles playing through pressure. The first time these two teams met, only 1.4 total expected goals were created. Reims had maybe the most efficient attacking output I've seen in a league on match. They had 0.7 expected goals off of 18 shots and 31 shot creating actions. Uh, Troy Ace has just had a lot of really bad penalty luck this season. Only 26 goals allowed from open play, but they've conceded eight penalties, which is the most in France. Additionally, Reims, uh, their best striker, Hugo Ekatike, uh, who has scored nine of their 38 goals. And has a 0.61 XG per 90 minute scoring range coming off a, a month long thigh injury. It looks like he'll be back for this match, but my guess is he won't be 100%. So I have both teams score no projected minus 170. Uh, zero, zero draws also seven to one. Don't hate that price either. So I think we're just going to, this is one of those matches that you just turn on the notifications uh, for at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning and hope you don't get a notification until the final whistle. That sounds wonderful. Uh, yeah. on, and on that note, let's move on to our favorite underdogs. For the weekend, Anthony, you're coming in at a, with a big price, so we'll start with you. Yeah, pressure does funny things to teams sometimes, and all of a sudden, AC Milan is kind of the title favorite in Italy. I mean, they've got a three-point lead if you if you give enter the game in hand, and they are now in the driver's seat for sure for this league title as Inter continued to drop points stunningly. And now I'm grabbing some Bologna because I, I still think this team is very overrated. Uh, they have run way too hot. They've won their last three games, one nil each, despite not really playing that well in any of them against pretty mediocre opposition, except for Napoli. So I think Bologna, they defend pretty well. They can turn this into a game that's pretty much toss up. I, I agree with BJ's under as well. Uh, and so that's for that reason at seven to one, I show value on them down to six to one. So I'm happy to take seven to one here on Bologna, who I think is live to win this. All right, I'll go next. I like Crystal Palace. They're plus 290 on Monday afternoon, hosting Arsenal. Palace's defense is fantastic. They're fifth in penalty expected goals against, sixth in shots allowed per 90 minutes. 
fourth in big chances allowed. And we spoke about this ad nauseum this season. Their expected goals numbers at home are terrific. Four, seven, and four win draw loss record, but they have the fourth best expected points uh, in terms of home form in the Premier League this season. Arsenal, on the other hand, a minus 4.52 expected goal differential away from home. So I think all of these are good ingredients for a recipe for an upset at Selhurst Park. Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace plus 290 for me. BJ, you're up. Yeah, Wolves uh, is sitting at plus 200 at home against Aston Villa, which I think is kind of a crazy price. I know we've talked about how they've overperformed all season long, but given the tactical setup at Bruno Lage has, which is very conservative, very pragmatic going forward, I think it lends itself to Wolves overperforming defensively, which is what we've kind of saw. But just from a pure market perspective, I think you look at any model from 538 to info goal, I think everybody's going to have Wolves as a slightly projected favorite. I understand that they're without... Raul Jimenez and Ruben Neves. But, uh, you know, the thing about Wolves is that they have a lot of attacking talent. They could put Trincao and He Chang Wang's back from injury. So uh, I think this price is a little crazy on Wolves. So I, I like them at two to one to, to get all three points against Aston Villa. All right. And if you wrap those three teams together in a money line parlay, that's Bologna, Crystal Palace, and Wolverhampton, 93 to one. So that should definitely come in. That feels good. Um, Let's move on to our favorite bets for this week in the Premier League. BJ, let's go right back to you. Yeah, Leicester, Manchester United, both teams to score at minus 150. I'm expecting chaos because these two teams are two of the worst defenses in the Premier League, but their offenses have been performing well enough to keep them up within the top 10 of the table. Obviously, Manchester United sitting in fifth place. United's offense, though, since Jaden Sancho and Paul Pogba have been healthy, 16.6 expected goals in their last seven matches. Leicester, third to last in the Premier League, 1.7 expected goals allowed per match. It's quite crazy that Leicester is sitting at 10th in the table, given how bad their defense has been. But the offense just shows you how good their offense can be. I mean, over they've scored at least one goal in 22 of their 27 Premier League matches this season. Additionally, these are two of the worst teams in terms of defending set pieces. Leicester, 13.2 expected goals allowed of set pieces. Man United, 10.5. So I'm expecting chaos, which is what we saw in the first meeting between these two teams. Leicester won 4-2. There was 40 shots, 58 shot creating action, just absolute chaos. And that's what I'm expecting at Old Trafford. So both teams to score at minus 150. My favorite bet in the Premier League this weekend is Everton. West Ham over two and a half goals at minus 110. Everton's defense uh, remains a mess. It is their Achilles heel. They actually have many Achilles heels, but it's one of them. Probably the worst one. Uh, Over their last five away matches, the Toffees have shipped 16 goals. And on the season, they're allowing 1.7 expected goals against on average in away matches. Enter West Ham, a team that plays pretty high event soccer. They have 15.4 total expected goals over their last five matches. So they should have no issue scoring. They should do the most of the hard work in getting to this over. But I also like Everton's chances to score against a West Ham defense that has not been in great form of late. So I think over two and a half at minus 110 is way too cheap. Give me that. And I wouldn't hate an over three either, plus 170. Anthony, what do you have for us this weekend? Yeah, I'm taking Crystal Palace plus a half at minus 115. Looking at the fixture list, I'm probably going to be fading Arsenal a good amount in the next few weeks. And the reality is their offense has run a bit hot lately. ML Smith-Rowe and, and Bukayo Saka, 18 goals from 11 combined expected goals. And defensively as well, I mean, this team has only conceded 31 goals from about 27 post-shot expected goals, but their actual XG is considerably higher than that. So they've been running a bit well defensively. And Palace has no problem playing out from the back, dealing with Arsenal's ability to get high turnovers and turn those into chances. Guys like Mark Gahey and Connor Gallagher are excellent uh, at, at kind of showing up in the right spaces, whether it's ball carrying as a center back, or whether it's Gallagher popping up on the edge of the box for chances. And they're well suited to play on the counter. We saw the first time these two teams played Palace pretty much were out of possession most of the game, but created the better of the chances until the final 10 minutes. And then Arsenal found a late equalizer. Uh, overall, I think these two teams are a little closer than the market suggests. And thus I'm going to take Palace plus a half at minus 115. All right, and that wraps up a supersized episode of Wonder Goal. We will be back with you on Monday morning to preview some Premier League and Champions League midweek fixtures. And until then, best of luck with all your footy bets.